0: Hi folks, thanks for tuning in this week. Like many of you, I've had a few weeks off over summer and I'm now easing back into it. Luckily, the Australian Open eases the pain of going back to work. And on that note, Ruben's rant this week is about tennis players prize money. And for the main part of the show, I speak to John Riley of Implemented Portfolios about a range of topics from the US government shutdown, China trade wars, and the upcoming Australian election, and importantly, whether these events have a real impact on share market and your returns. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hey, folks, welcome to the Finance Hour on Jair. It's good to be back. It's been about a three or four week break, uh, which has been very nice over summer. Perhaps our listeners have taken a break as well. And if you did, I hope you had a great time and easing back into it in January. Uh, I can say for me, January is generally a quiet sort of month. So the first couple of weeks are pretty good, uh, which uh, I definitely enjoy and of course uh, the tennis is on and I am a little bit uh, fanatical about the tennis when it comes to Melbourne. I'm a massive fan of the Australian Open. In fact it is going to be the target of Ruben's Rant today. Well today we are talking about uh, the markets. Uh, for those of you that are listening you know we sort of do a lot of interviewing of, of business people or people who are doing interesting things in their careers and jobs and I don't always want to talk about, you know, the financial share markets and all that, because I think people can get a bit bored with it. But every now and then it is really good to, um, to do that. Uh, I've got today the guys from Implemented Portfolios, John Riley. John's been on the show before. Uh, he's uh, very interesting. He takes a real interesting interest in US politics. Uh, and there's obviously a lot going on there. So we'll probably spend a bit of time talking about that as well. Okay, so that will be coming up soon, but before that happens, it is time for Ruben's Rant.
1: Ruben's Rant!
0: Now, my rant this week is about the Australian Open and the statistics that we see. We're always seeing the statistics of players, how many tournaments they've won, their win-loss record as well. And one of the things that they always show is the amount of prize money that they've won. And I always find this quite interesting because you might see someone's prize money and even maybe a, I don't know, just a top 50 player, you might look at it and think, oh, they've made 6 or $7 million of prize money. Um, and we kind of tend to equate that with what their wealth must be. You think, oh, they must have at least that amount in assets, and it's actually interesting because if you think about it, it's probably not the case. I think most of us would be completely mortified if we saw what our income had been, our pre-tax income that we'd earned, had been over our lifetime, uh, and then compared that to the level of assets that we had. It's kind of misleading because you've got to remember: uh, firstly, you pay a huge amount of tax, and that; secondly, you've got to live, and particularly the tennis players have got to, uh, you know, spend a lot of money traveling around the world. Uh, so I think that it can be a bit misleading. The other thing which, which is misleading about it as well is that you're always going to find the more current players, you know, they'll say, well, they're the 15th all-time highest earner, uh, but it's always going to be skewed more towards current players because you know, the pay packets for winning tournaments has gone up you know, exponentially over the last 10 or 15 years. So just because someone might be the 15th highest earner in history doesn't really say anything about how they compare to players of previous eras. Okay, well, that's my rant. It's not too sort of aggressive or opinionated, but, you know, it kind of fits in with where we are this year with the tennis. uh, And coming into the last week, as I said, I'm pretty excited about it. So uh, we're just going to take a very quick break, and then we will get John Riley on the phone. John, have I got you on the line?
1: Yes, you do. Uh, Hi, how are you?
0: Good, good, terrific. Sorry about that. I was having a bit of technical glitches, but I'm glad I didn't lose you.
1: Uh, it's the new year, mate.
0: That's okay. Good, John. Look, thanks for coming on. Uh, I was just sort of saying before to our listeners, we don't make every show about you know investment markets or super and all that sort of stuff. But uh, you know, every now and then, it does make a lot of sense to revisit some of these things. And and we've had you on before. And thanks for coming on again today.
1: My pleasure.
0: All right, John. Well, look, what I want to start with, and I know it's something that's a real interest to you, uh, is what's going on in America. Right, I mean, we've got this thing called the shutdown, right, of the government, and yeah. and when you think about it, it sounds like an absolutely, you know, horrific sort of thing, or like a, you know, a nuclear option to shut down the government. But the question is, is how serious an issue is it? And it's what what actually is interesting today. I just might tell our listeners I'm involved uh, with an interest-free loans uh, committee. We give interest-free loans to people in the in the community, and we're part of an association. Of, uh, of loan of loan uh, programs all around the world that that all give uh, interest-free loans to in, within Jewish communities and one of our counterparts mm-hmm. in Philadelphia actually said that they've made a huge number of loans over a hundred or so over the last little while to people who have been who have been uh, impacted by the government shutdown but just going back to us yeah. how big a deal is this or is it just you know how big a deal is it
1: uh, it's it's a it's a deal that's getting, it's, it's the impact of something like this shutdown. So, to clarify, it, there's, it's around about a quarter of the government which is not funded. So, the majority of the government still is. Yep. And so, the impact on the overall economy to date hasn't been that big.
2: But mm. this
1: is a situation that doesn't get worse in a linear fashion. Things are about mm. to get a whole lot worse. People, yeah. you know there's a, there's a significant proportion of the population in America that live from paycheck to paycheck. Uh, yeah. Many of those have just gone without their first paycheck some of those are furloughed and not working some of those are actually being forced to work without pay uh, and so, so it, that's going to get you know exponentially worse as they as they miss their second paycheck and you do you know in addition to the, the loans that you were talking about just before you can find photos online of what should be well-paid middle class Americans lining up at, you know, soup kitchens and bread lines.
0: Really. So how many people are we actually talking about? And is it just sort of, it's, it's not the states, it's just the federal?
1: Yes, it's a total of 800,000, and that, that includes both those that are laid off uh, and those that are being forced to work without pay.
0: That's a massive number. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I suppose is, you look absolutely. at it in the con- I mean, the context of the Australian population, it's, you know, it's enormous, it's but maybe in, in the context of the US population... Yeah.
1: It, it's it's starting to be felt. Um, um, you know, ironically, we'll probably see some delays in some of the key economic data because some of those bureaucrats won't be working and be able to publish them. So maybe it'll be masked for a little while. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I think, you know, it's it's relevant to talk about just what a what a sad indictment it is on the efficacy of the U.S. government at the moment. So no. to step back a little bit. Uh, Prior to the Democrats taking over control of the House in early January, with Nancy Pelosi becoming Speaker again, uh, there were funding bills passed. The Senate passed the funding bill 100 to 0.
2: Mm.
1: So, obviously, complete bipartisan support. Uh, that didn't include money for Donald Trump's wall. He's obviously holding out at the moment for $5.7 billion to build about 25 miles worth of wall on the mm-hmm. southern border. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what I don't think has been given enough attention is that the Republicans had two years of controlling the House, the Senate and the White House, and they never got it done. But so mm. now sit there and say, with the Democrats in control of the House and, and the budgetary... They never got the uh, wall done. Sorry, is that what you said? saying? No. Yeah. They had, control, they had control of it all and never did it. And so... I think when we spoke last time, we may have been talking pre midterm elections and, and and trade wars and those sorts of things and about Donald Trump wanting the fight. And mm. I think we're seeing that same characteristic play out here again. I don't really think he cares about the war. I think he just wants to be seen as the tough guy. Now, mm. he was going to be prepared to sign that, that um, uh, bills that came out of the Senate 100 to 0 until the right wing commentariat... Uh, started to say, "Hey, you're a wimp. You're backing down. This is not what you campaigned on." Mm. And he has literally thrown a tantrum and shut down the government. Eight hundred thousand people aren't getting paid. So is
0: that is that that's the issue? It's the wall. That's what's causing this. If yeah. he if he said, "Oh, look, I'm, I'll shelve it," you you would you know you'd get funded again. In, in a, in yeah, a, absolutely, in a, yeah. And, and
1: part of it you've got to you've got to lay a decent amount of responsibility at the feet of Mitch McConnell, who's the Republican uh, Senate Majority Leader, who refuses to bring a bill uh, to to even have a vote on it um, if if Donald Trump if it's something that Donald Trump won't approve. Mm. So the first the first piece of action, the first thing that the Democrats did when they took control of the House, is pass a funding bill. And mm. it's dead in the Senate because Mitch McConnell refuses to bring it up for a vote. Mm. Now, just overnight, there has been some movement on that front. And there are two competing bills, one which has funding for Trump's uh, wall, which is from the Republican side, and one which doesn't. Mm. Neither of which are likely to get enough votes, the 60 votes out of 100, for the thing to progress. So in every in all likelihood, we're still at a stalemate.
0: Wow. OK. And people just aren't getting paid. We, we, when That's they do right. go back to when they, you know, when the shutdown stops, do they get back pay for what they've missed?
1: Some will and some won't. Mm. So there has been some legislation passed that if they're actual federal employees, they will, but there's a lot of people that are contractors to the federal government which won't.
0: Right, right. Geez, okay. So it's crazy. So, uh, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, economic conditions and the impact on investment markets. And, you know, we obviously go through times where, you know, the 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 you know the performance of the economy and the performance of the share market aren't that correlated, right? I mean, we go through a lot of times like that, but, uh-huh. so, you know, over the medium term. But, you know, it, it's always interesting to sort of look at it and say, okay, yeah, this sounds pretty serious. I mean, I don't know how serious it is in the context of global markets, but does, does you know, what's happening there, does it have a, a direct impact on investment
1: markets? Yeah, look, I, I, I'd be more confident about saying if it was happening in isolation and everything else was fine, mm. that the effects of the shutdown are likely to be more quarantined and not flow through, but sentiment's lousy anyway
2: mm. Uh, mm. around
1: the world. Yeah. So in America, there's obviously also not just the shutdown, but the trade wars, the political intransigence, yeah. the unlikely that anything substantial is going to be done. Across the Atlantic, you've got the Brexit disaster, yeah. which is you know we're, we're weeks away and we have no idea what's going on. There's yeah. riots in Paris.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: China's on the other end of the U.S. trade wars. Right. We've got royal commissions and housing markets, and so sentiment. Right, and an anyway,
0: any imputation getting, <laughs> getting potentially
1: potentially ca- yeah, absolutely yeah. You yeah. Know, so there's you, significant s- stuff on 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 the horizon, which people are worried about.
0: Right, so it's just it's just difficult to isolate and say what's what's what. Although you do see, I mean. You know, obviously you always hear the media reporting of you know, short-term market movements and they'll say, well, the Dow Jones fell by 2% on the back of trade wars, right? And then the next yeah, day, the Dow Jones went by 2%. Whatever happened today, there has
1: to be a reason for it. Exactly, for it. they yeah. just sort
0: of retrofit the reasons. Uh, yeah. And then the next day, well, there's potential that the trade war might be resolved better, uh, so it went up
1: 2%. I mean,
0: even those sort of movements, you know, yeah and we have let's be honest, we have seen like, you know, big percentage movements over the last it's probably settled down a little bit the last couple of weeks, but in the month towards Yeah, a couple end, of
1: months it's been longer than that to be yeah. honest. Yeah, there's oh, one of the charts I bit. track is just um plus and minus or, or moves more than plus or minus one percent in some key indices and you've yeah. started to see a pickup in that measure for sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, in terms of the um the volatility. So I mean Yeah. But but it, but are those are those sort of, you know, changes in in daily basis are they are they direct uh reflection of of you know announcements and market conditions and the like or is it is it just a whole lot of people just pressing sell
1: as always there's a couple of answers to it Mm. um one is we've obviously just been through the holiday period and so volumes are skinnier on markets which means trading activity can push prices around a little bit easier than it would when there's full volumes going through so Mm. we need to be conscious that that's the context we've just come out of Mm. Uh, but absolutely, yeah. You know, I think, you know, and, and I know you and I have discussed in the past that one of the things, whether it was, uh, you know, late last year, the big thing was the meeting between President Trump and President Xi of China in Argentina at the G20 meeting. And what I wrote about at the time was the reason this is so difficult to anticipate is because the outcomes are so binary. Yeah, You know, they they may come out of their meeting all smiles with their arms around each other, and then the markets would go off to the races. Mm, mm. If they they come out metaphorically swinging, uh, then the markets are going to collapse. And Mm. we kind of got a compromise position, which we're running up to the end of. Uh, so, March yeah. first is when they put a delay on increasing the tariffs on the mm. extra two hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of Chinese mm. inputs. So that's due to ratchet up from ten to twenty five percent. Yeah, yeah. And then we're starting to see some real economic impacts as well.
0: Yeah. So when you say, I mean, you know, you talk about the different issues that are going on, right? You know, in in Brexit and in you know, obviously in America and the trade wars. I mean, you've obviously been around to invest markets for for a long period of time. I mean, is there more uncertainty, more volatility? I mean, so we've talked about there is more volatility, but is there more uncertainty now than what there has been in the past?
1: I, I think it always feels like it when you're in the middle of it, mm. um, and so I, I um, you know, I've looked at some Australian examples from the last six or seven years, and there's kind of there's always a reason to worry. It just mm. it, it changes from month to month, from quarter to quarter. Uh, You know, not that long ago, what what was worrying markets was the potential for nuclear conflict on the Korean Peninsula. That's gone away for the time being, but there's about to be another summit. So, yeah, look, you you can always find something to get upset about. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, the key key discipline, I guess, in good long-term portfolio management is to try to understand what these current uh, potential, you know, catalysts for volatility are and whether they do impact on how you make decisions about what's in your portfolio. So we like to think about, you know, what's going to be the potential change around how much income do I get, how much earnings are going to support that uh, payment of future income streams, and then the valuation piece, which will change from time to time, but has a really strong uh, return to averages over time feature of it.
0: So I want to talk about, you know, you you, you put out your regular commentary, and I want to just pick up on a couple of things. Uh, in there please go
1: ahead
0: um first of all I mean you know we talk about the uh, you know the term deposit rate and and obviously that should always be a benchmark when people are assessing investment options you know what would you get yep. in the bank and you know we hear all the time oh well you get nothing in the bank I may as well put it in shares you're only getting two percent in the bank I'm wasting my money which is you know from a financial planning perspective is a flawed way of looking at it because <laughs> the question mm-hmm. is is you know always number one you know are you prepared to Completely take the volatility of markets. Number two, when do you need the money? Actually, number two is probably even more important. But anyway, yeah. going back to um, you know, to cash rates, term deposit rates, um, you know, there's we cash rates have been on hold for a long period of time, and uh, now there's talk of another interest rate drop. Um, where do you see the the impact of sort of, uh, you know, where what people can get in the bank or in term deposits and. You know, where that is, where it's likely to go, and what the impact on how you measure other, you know, the, how you measure the attractiveness of other markets.
1: So it's a it's a really really important threshold, and it's one where I've actually just put through a, a reasonably modest adjustment, but an adjustment nonetheless, mm. in what return can your investors get without taking any risk. Now, traditionally, those measures, a lot a lot of portfolio managers will use government bonds as a risk free measure. They're deemed to be, you know, the sovereign will always repay their, their obligations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we've used term deposits for a number of years now because the rates are slightly higher than the government bonds. And so yeah. we look at an average of the term deposit rate from the big four banks in Australia on a yeah. five-year term.
2: Yeah.
1: And just recently we've dropped that down, or they have, and we've reflected that from 3
0: to 2.8%. Mm. That's a pretty big drop.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like
0: much, but it's you know it's almost a ten percent drop, isn't it?
1: And it's more about the you know the the, the trajectory in the past. Uh, mm. You know, there's been a really significant change, not just in the deposits rates, but in, in government bond rates as well, and also in what people are expecting central banks to do with really short term interest rates,
2: overnight mm. like cash rates, mm. those sorts
1: of things. In the US, in particular, but also in Australia. So towards sort of August, September of last year, as things we know, we're still looking fairly optimistic. People yeah. were expecting that the, the US Federal Reserve was going to keep raising interest rates right. to try, try to cool gradually a fairly yeah. robust economy. Yeah. Um, in Australia, we've been at 1.5% for a long, long time yeah. now. Um, the expectations have changed there as well in that around that September, October time, uh, the expectations that the RBA would cut rates was around um, around 25%. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that they would hike rates was around 25%. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hike rates, what, during this calendar year? Is that... Or what time frame? Uh,
1: no, sorry, on a 12-month forward view. Okay, so looking yeah, through yeah. to the end of 2019, that yeah, there would be yeah. a rate hike coming. Right. Now the expectation is, and it's a higher expectation... It's a little bit over forty percent that the market in general thinks that the RBA will move from one point five to one point two five by the December twenty nineteen meeting. So yeah. that's a really big shift in quite a short time frame.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And look, I
1: guess you know the implication for investors again are gone are the days where you are going to get five, six, seven percent out of your term deposits. Yeah. So 2.8 is the new threshold, and that's for the defensive stuff, the risk-free stuff in particular. If we're going to hold risky assets like equities, then we need to be compensated for it. So we look at around about a 5% level, and we say that's around the sort of fair value to cheap threshold. And if we can get better than that, which is available now, if you're prepared to write out the volatility, all of the grossed-up dividends on the banks, for example, are in excess of that Mm. 2.8 plus 5, better than 7.8 number.
0: Yeah. I mean, the interest rates, yeah, as you say, there's that impact on uh, yeah, on investors, you know, particularly on retirees uh, who are in that sort of drawdown phase and need a degree of security. Yeah, it represents yeah. a significant problem. I mean, I've got one client I can think of that, you know, we place sort of, you know, we had a number of sort of five-year term deposits and the like that have, you know, all come towards maturity in the last year or so. And, you know, they, yep. they, they had like sort of their 5%... Yeah, you know, we had locked in up yeah, to five percent rates, in that and they're going to
1: roll into about half the return. Exactly, they're
0: going to roll into, so, so you know, it's a, it's really, really challenging. Um, Absolutely, and, and you know, you've got the, on the key, yeah.
1: The key, just you know, I would remind your audience there is you. You know, you might you might want a higher return, but if you're going to chase a higher return, know that you're taking on more risk in your portfolio. That's exactly right. <laughs> Key key criteria is it's really important to make sure that your defensive assets provide you defence at times like we've just exactly. been through over the last couple
0: of months. I okay. know we've spoken to Tim on this program before as well, and he sort of says, well, regardless of whether you see markets as being good value or bad value or whatever, you've always got to be yep. prepared for a 30 percent, you know, potential fall just on purely you know bad sentiment. So yeah, um, absolutely,
1: and it can happen really quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: As we've yeah. just seen as well, yeah. But
0: I mean obviously the other side of interest rates, you know, is you know, why they I'll give
1: you, a, just, you sorry, know. I'll give you a little bit of context on that one. And, and and importantly for us, it was the most overvalued stuff which has fallen the furthest. And yeah. So we're a value based investment manager. Mm. Apple put out a profit warning and they lost don't quote me to the decimal point, but mm. four hundred and something odd billion US dollars from their peak to the trough on mm. the on this profit warning which when you convert into Australian dollars is the equivalent size of all four of the banks, BHP, Woolworths yeah. and CSL. Yeah. That's what they lost in the space of less than six months. Mm. Extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary numbers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so talking about the yeah, so interest rates, your benchmark, but then on the other hand, yeah, the reason why they cut interest rates is to you know, tell people who've got debt, uh you know, pay a lower rate of interest on their mortgage, which hopefully stimulates the yep. economy, but you know that's kind of going the other way anyway. I mean the banks have been you know increasing their interest rates um already you know and, and there's the 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 nexus between RBA rate and what banks are, are lending out as is really from what I see starting to diverge a bit it used to be as soon as it happened, they all competed to do it the first possible day. Now it looks yeah, to me like uh, you know, they're, they're ramping up rates at different times. They're making, you know, there's other impacts. The regulator don't want them to lend so much to investors. They're ramping up rates there. You know, the, the old sort of straight, okay, we're going to cut rates and we're going to put $200 more a month into the average mum and dad's, uh, you know, spending account is really not the case anymore. Mm,
1: yeah, look, you know, there's there's a reason that monetary policy or or changing interest rates, you know, is, is known as a blunt instrument. Mm. Um, It it affects the whole economy, it affects savers, it affects borrowers, of course, as well. Ah. Uh, And we certainly have seen a number of the banks uh, be prepared to make out-of-cycle rate increases, largely in response to a change in their own funding costs, rather than just moving lockstep in relation with what the RBA does. And ultimately, you know, they're beholden to shareholders hmm. and are trying to protect their net interest margins so that they can support their dividends and yeah. the income stream to retirees that way.
0: Well, I'd say that's the kindest way of looking at it. I mean, potentially the less kind way of looking at it is saying when, the, when APRA, who, who uh, oversee them, said to them, you've got to really put a clamp on investment loans, right? Yep. They did take that yep. as the opportunity to ramp up those rates, un, you know, with political cover and i think well, i can't remember which bank or well, i thought maybe the cba or one maybe it was westpac actually acknowledged in their you know in their in their report that yes their funding costs have gone up a bit but they actually had a bit of a, a sugar hit from um, from ramping up rates
1: You uh, i i um, you don't agree from what i from what I've read, I haven't seen that there's any any great amount of that going on. The, yeah. the net interest margins in the last reporting round were generally fairly stable, if not actually mm. tightening a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, so what,
1: what, a lot of yeah. the other uh, sort of the, the, the non-interest rates... Uh, oversight moves from APRA the sort of macro-credential measures that they talk about have been around that tightening of credit criteria, mm. that more forensic assessment on the expense side of the balance sheet that we've spoken about before uh, and that has absolutely put the brakes on so, Yeah, but you, re- um, you reckon
0: yeah, yeah. I, yeah, anyway, we'll agree to disagree mm-hmm. you, reckon it's, you reckon they put up the rates just as a result that it's costing them more I reckon there were other things at play there
1: Oh, this, look,
0: I'm, I'm, we're talking about degrees of the component parts here rather right. than one versus the other. Hedging <laughs> your bet, John. You don't, yeah, you, don't to,
1: you don't want to totally contradict me, but. No, well, actually, <laughs> are, are, are often dangerous in this game, eh?
0: But... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I guess the other, look, I mean, obviously, then, you know, we talk about Australia and, uh, you know. I have to say you know we look at we look at uh, you know I think I was I said to you before, you know uncertainty and you know when is there more uncertainty when is there less uncertainty and you know I, I don't quite know in terms of global markets, but i, I have to say I do feel uh, that this period coming up is a degree of significant uncertainty and and obviously part of that is is you know government change uh, which mm. looks almost inevitable. I mean maybe I'm also no. a little clouded because I see this you know, Financial Services Royal Commission, and I see the report coming out, you know, I, I think that's going to have a big impact on the whole financial services area. And I think it's, you know, and I suppose that includes me. So maybe um, I, I, I yep. slightly, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased towards thinking that, um, you know, there's uncertainty around that for, for anyone in the financial services world. Um, yep. But yeah, and then, and then obviously... Yeah, from an investment. So market. we're not
1: far away, are we? Is mm. it uh it's a, it's next weeks Friday. away from, from the Royal Commission or yeah, it's no, next, next Friday, the first of yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah um, uh, and and then you look, know, we'll, if, I you,
1: yeah. if I was to give you an alternate view on that one as well, mm.
0: it's
1: how much of that uncertainty has already been reflected in the in the falling prices. And are we then going to be at an inflection point where things actually aren't getting worse anymore, that we know what's out there and they do start to get better? And from beating up prices, there is the potential for perhaps some some decent price rallies in the financial sector.
0: Maybe, maybe. But I think there's going to be a lot of businesses that almost become, you know, depending on what comes out. But look, you know, there's going to be businesses that almost become non-viable. I mean, you know, personally, I, I just, I, just don't sure see how, I don't see how an AMP... I don't see how they survive this in their current form. I, I, I don't. But, but once again, I mean, look, you'll probably look at that from a macro perspective and say, well, what's a as a result uh, of that? Uh, yeah, a, yeah, as a portion true, of the ASIC yeah. And you'll say, well, yeah, it doesn't make Yeah, much I'm, I'm not at the
1: coalface like you. That yeah, happens. yeah,
0: yeah. So um, you're right. I mean, probably part of that I'm, you know, because I'm in that world and, and looking at that stuff. But you're right. right. I mean, maybe um, the bad news is, is, is priced in and, and things change. But you know, you do have yeah I suppose it's gonna depend on the outcome of the election, right? But you feel like the way Labour's talking, right, first of all they I said they, there they,
1: was they, no absolutes, but that's yeah. just
0: about one, isn't it? Oh, um, Labour coming in, yeah. But but yeah. not only them coming in, right? The question is is coming in with what sort of majority, what sort of power really, isn't it? Because
1: Yes, and yeah. the makeup of the Senate is going to be critical to what they can get done.
0: Yep. Right. So, the, so that's kind of the the question, and, it, and 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 you can see the way they're talking. I mean, they're confident. You know that they're. Yeah, going to, they're, and I, going, I, they're going, I think they,
1: you know, mm. they can mount a very very compelling case that they'll yeah. have a strong mandate for what they've campaigned
0: on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Chris Bowen, you know, I've sort of seen a couple of interviews with him, and he's just, you
1: know.
0: I don't know he's just sort of got to this point of almost dogmatic arrogance I think um whereas you know we're going to be in we're going to do this change we don't care um you know we don't care if it disrupts part of the market or whatever this is what we're doing you know we've talked about the frank and credit not getting that refund you know yes there are people complaining we don't care you know we this is fair we're going to do it you know the question is is do they follow through on all that but but if they do for example that that thing with the franking credits not being able to get refunds i mean that's that's pretty significant now whether or not that has itself going to make the share market fall i actually don't think so because going back to what you said before there's always a multitude of factors that are impacting yeah. you know short-term market movements and that might be one of them but there might be other positive or even other negative um but what it will mean, if it comes in, is that people um, you who know, are sort of the self-funded retirees will have their income cut, uh, mm-hmm. and what will that do to spending and, and the like? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Whilst uh, house prices are probably still going to be languishing, particularly mm. in Sydney
0: and Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. Well, what yeah. You th- I mean, do you think, uh, yeah. do you think that... Um, I'll probably just skip it. Do you think that franking credit issue uh, is likely to have an impact on, on, on share markets?
1: I, I don't think it'll lead to people wholesale changing their portfolio yeah uh, I suspect those and, and I think you know on some of the numbers I've seen we're talking about people impacted in it's, it's not insignificant it's several mm. hundred thousand maybe up to a half a million or thereabouts uh, people impacted, go,
2: yeah. yeah
1: you know they're not going to yeah. go to turn deposits at 2.8 when the cash dividend on the bank without the franking credits is already higher than that so right. you're going to sell. Don't worry about CGT because you're in pension phase, of course. Right, but there's right. certainly transaction costs and disruption.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and then, where they get, probably people yeah. who've owned these shares for decades, you would have thought in, in some mm-hmm. cases in their portfolios, you know, if if it was the case that more defensive assets were yielding higher, which looks very unlikely,
2: yeah,
1: uh, then possibly you would see more turnover in the portfolio, but. You know, superannuation is this ever-growing pool of money that's growing at 9 or 10% per annum. So mm. there's always going to be a bid under the Australian market and there's going to be, you know, it might be three or four or 500,000 people who are going to be in a position to not have their excess franking credits refunded, but there's several million more that will still, you know, look at these things. If they if they, if they sell down from here, mm-hmm. we're going to see low double-digit grossed-up dividend yields on the banks again.
0: Well, that, and there'll be, yeah. there'll be
1: an audience for that for sure.
0: And, and the thing is, well, what I think is rubbish, they say, oh, well, people aren't going to have their money in Australia, they're going to move it to international shares. I think that's a lot of rubbish. Yeah. You don't get franking credits on international shares, so why would you move it from one to the other, you know? And I probably yeah. I'm, I'm typically speaking a lot of people who that you know, the mums and dads that hold the Australian shares, you know, yeah, they don't really hold, they don't really want to hold international shares, or they, you know, they don't feel comfortable with it, or, or whatever. But to think no, that they're just that going there's to be a whole lot No, an argument that switch, they maybe should, yeah, mm. from a diversification well, point like, of view. But, but they should, know, should do that anyway, right? With, they but, should do that now. That's right. You know, yeah, th- yeah. This, so, so this doesn't change that. Like, it doesn't mean, yeah. You know, I, I agree. Like, like I would always have have you know. Any client that comes to a you know advisor w- would recommend it, but I'm saying well people yes. that don't, uh, they probably don't, and I don't reckon they would. The only reason they would is if they just follow some kind of you know blind, uh, you know they believe the hype. <laughs> yeah, which, Look,
1: I mean, the which simple, a the simple question is mm. if, if they sell, what do they buy?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You but, know, there's no, there's yeah, there's
1: nothing that stands out to me that's going to be a compelling alternative to mm. dumping your bank shares.
0: But what about those sort of and and what about those sort of listed fixed interest investments, right? The which are the bank issues, you know, the ones with the long codes that I know, you know, you guys uh, follow Preparate very closely. Shares. Yeah, yeah. When and they give they're they're kind of supposedly defensive investments, but they might give a a interest rate before tax of you know three percent, but then when you count yeah, the payments, but the franking credits there
2: too. Yeah, yeah, I know. I
0: know. That's what I'm saying. So the franking credits right, which actually yeah. make the thing attractive, right? Without the franking yeah. credits. I they're, they're no better than a five-year term deposit. I mean, what's, what, what do you see the impact on, on those sort of things?
1: Uh, look, again, uh, I think, you know, the, the balance of people who will still be able to fully utilize ranking credits vastly mm. outweighs those that won't be able to. Right. Right. Uh, so I, yeah. I, I'm not anticipating huge disruption in that market. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so if it's, Look at the deep-sized yeah.
1: market these days. There's probably $45, $50 billion worth of those securities issued on the ASX.
2: Yeah. But put that, uh,
1: You know, it's yeah. several hundred thousand SMSFs that might hold, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 of these things, whatever it might be. You've got to sort of look at the mass and try and work through what the market volume impact's going to be.
0: Okay, but put that aside, right? Let's say there's no movement in the capital value of these things. Let's say they stay the same, but all of a sudden that that person with the um, self-managed fund in in 0%, their, their return yep. has dropped, you know, from an income point of view. It's yeah, dropped, and, it's and, and so
1: again, if they were to sell, where do they go? So we have, uh, um, you know, we've got a couple of funds in the defensive part of our portfolios that hold a really diverse range of investment-grade corporate bonds, which get yeah. much higher up the capital structures than these preference shares. Yeah. Uh, and they've actually been a really good defensive investment through the last three, four months of mm. last year.
0: Mm. And those uh, are things that... Twerking, do... Yeah, sorry, go on.
1: It's, you're talking returns 35
0: to 4%. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, I, I look, again, if, if the press stuff sells off, uh, you know, we would certainly have demand for buying more.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah yeah well so it's the way good. we did,
1: yeah. i mean for the for the audience the way we have thought about this franking credits issue as an investment committee is to establish a new portfolio adjusting our forecast on the basis that dividends both on on australian equities and on those prep shares won't won't uh, incorporate the, uh, the benefit of franking credits there as well so right. that's kind of our in case of emergency break glass plan mm. which we haven't had to execute yet but we anticipate yeah. we might
0: yeah <laughs> and as you say there'll still probably be a quite a bit of notice on all this stuff. But I guess the, yeah, I suppose the question is, is, yeah, how does the, um, assuming the Labor government get in, how does the political reality, uh, you know, match their, 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 their talk now? Do you know what I mean? And yeah, that's a question, right. isn't it? I mean, that was a big question with Trump, wasn't it? I mean, but yeah, you can't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, and for Labor, it is going to be on negative gearing changes mm. to the housing market, all
0: sorts of things. Hmm. Like, oh, like we said
1: before, I'm yeah. on the makeup of the Senate too, and what they can get
0: through. Exactly right. Or if we've got the, um, you know, the lunatic crossbenchers. Um,
1: well, and, and we might have some sensible ones there too. Yeah. I know Karen Phelps, who won Malcolm Turnbull's yeah. seat in Wentworth, yeah. was on the record after the election and saying, "Hey, hey let's let's hold on you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and she, yeah, she's um, she's an independent, isn't she? Correct. Mm. Interesting. Kelly O'Dwyer, I noticed, as recently. Um, Resigned as well, or she's not standing I, for next election.
1: Yeah, I, sh- I don't think she'll be the last one between now mm. and May either, but mm. it's, uh, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people there that l- looking at a long spell in opposition and, and probably decide that the grass is greener somewhere else, I would have thought.
0: And you reckon they'll, they'll, they'll pull the pin even before the election? Or, yeah. Or bef- yeah. Yeah, as you say. Yeah, I mean, be, it, like, it wouldn't be much fun, look, yeah. wouldn't be much fun I'd being, be shocked uh,
1: if we don't see a few more at least, Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's the thing. What do you do if you're, a... yeah, what do you do? What do you, yeah, if you're in a seat and you don't win that seat, um, yeah, you're out of a job, aren't you? I mean, yeah.
1: Hopefully, so, you've been in parliament for twenty years and you've got
0: a nice pension to rely on. Yeah, or you, um, or you go and get another job. Anyway, going, um, yeah. Look, uh, I suppose we're coming towards the end. I just maybe just to, to end up. I mean, as we've talked about a lot of uh, stuff that's that's you know. Or, stuff that's coming out, Brexit, all the rest of it. What are the sort of key, the big key sort of themes or, you know, I know we're talking short-term stuff, but the big themes or news you reckon that people should, you know, people who have got an interest in, you know, markets or economies should should be sort of looking out for? Uh, even if it's just look, for interest I sake. That, yeah,
1: on the, on the big issues that are, you know, dominating the headlines, um We're starting to see the first conciliatory moves from both sides on the show on the shutdown piece in the US. So I'd be surprised if it goes weeks longer. Yeah. Probably certainly days longer. But admittedly it is still hard to see exactly what the resolution is without Trump saying I'll give up on my wall funding. Yeah. Um, Brexit even harder to interpret at the moment. Obviously, Theresa May had an historical rebuff from the Parliament. Mm. She's come back with Plan B, which looks a lot like Plan A. Mm. Uh, well, there's she's there's the no confidence. confidence they crash out. Yeah. Yeah, just. Mm. Uh, just. Mm. Uh, was it, there was a lot of those people that voted for her in the no confidence vote voted against her Brexit plan, though. The margins right. were really wide. Mm. There's. There's there's nothing I can see on the horizon that fixes the intract, intractable issues there, particularly around the customs union and the Irish border. There is a very real probability, and perhaps even the base case, mm. that Brexit crashes out, or that UK crashes out without a deal, without a Brexit deal, uh, and that's that's a big unknown. Yeah, you know. Um, that will certainly royal markets. Um, I suspect more so on the UK side of the channel rather than Europe, but Europe will certainly be impacted as well.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: The other one is the trade wars, mm. and that's probably the biggest the biggest one. Um you know, it's it, it's really hard to get a sense of what's going on. Just in the last couple of days, you know, the market tanked yesterday in the US; it was down one point four. Mm. Pleasingly, we're we're flat today, so yeah. the Aussie market continues to outperform America on the last little while and and short to medium term as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was conflicting reports about whether the US cancelled the meeting or not. We can't even get clarity on whether they got together and sat around the table to discuss the issues. Yeah. Uh So that's an increasingly difficult one. Uh, You know, they're the the three big issues. Um, And, you know, we are now just, you know, to to return to where we started in the US outlook, we're now starting to see a whole bunch of Democrats announced for 2020, so the presidential campaign's going to start to kick off. I think Trump is in big trouble uh, on any one of the... There's actually 17 separate investigations into Trump, his children, and the Trump organisation. There is a very real chance that... You know, the only reason he's not currently arrested, indicted, convicted, is that he sits in the Oval Office. Yeah. Um, so to give you one very narrow aspect of that, Michael Cohen, his former lawyer, has pled guilty to the campaign finance violations in relation to the payments made to the porn actress and, yeah. the, and the Playboy Bunny. Yeah. He admitted guilty to it, he's going to jail for three years.
2: Yeah. There is audio,
1: which we've all heard, of he and Trump discussing those payments. Yeah. That makes Trump an unindicted co-conspirator which is the language they used about Nixon before he was impeached. Unbelievable. That's the big danger. Their economy is slowing. Their earnings per share growth numbers are going to get much weaker because they're coming off the tax cut driven sugar high. Yeah. The economic growth is deteriorating from a high of 4.2. Uh, Q2 last year, Q3 dropped to 3.4. The number we'll see late next week for US GDP is likely to be in the mid to maybe slightly high twos and dropping as they head into the 2020 election cycle. Which probably means Trump gets more erratic. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a good
0: thing. All right, John. Well, look, thanks. Uh, thanks very much for uh, for catching up with, uh, with on, us today. Uh,
1: on that cheery
0: note. Oh, sorry. Yeah, exactly. On that cheery note. I thought you were going to say some good things that were coming up. But anyway, <laughs> as you say, there's always uncertainty out there. You know, and, and when we're in the midst of it, you know, we always think that this is this is the worst. Yeah, markets
1: generally pretty resilient. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, John. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll speak to you again next time.
1: Pleasure as always, Ruben. Thank you. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, we'll be back next week. If you want to hear any of the older podcasts, just go either to the JO website or go to adaptwealth.com.au or even better, the, probably the most effective way is to search them on iTunes. Thanks very much for tuning in.